2: So sit back and relax and enjoy another great episode of the award-winning Mike Wagner Show.
3: Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios and brought to you by our official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, International Warring Arthur, Mia Belson's The Missing, available on Amazon and Paperback and Ebook. We're here with a terrific gentleman who's a retired doctor, music manager, and restaurant owner, born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. He attended his medical degree at 24, across Alabama state line 16 to attend college. He also owned several businesses, including O.Y.A.S. Management and um, the Hollywood Fries restaurant, which is really tasty right now. He discovered and secured a record deal for The Taste of Honey, the first um, hit in the uh, 1979 first black Carson. in 22 years of the Grammys to win the best new artist award and of course um he also has um you know experienced life love all kinds of quirks and um I mean just a lot of great stories and the people who he's worked with it's 45 chapters full of a uh, wonderful life and the book is called are you a enter or a doctor live ladies and gentlemen from plus studios um Somewhere around the world, he's currently on vacation right now, and he's probably going to add another chapter to it, make it 46, 47. He'll probably add a 48 or 49 by the time this is over. The um, multi-talented retired doctor, music manager, and restaurant owner. And uh, the book, Are You an Enter or a Doctor? A Memoir with a multi-talented Dr. Otto Stalwart, Jr. Dr. Otto, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today.
4: All right, thanks for having me.
3: What's well, great having you on board as well, too. So you got an amazing career. You're a retired doctor, music manager, Restaurant owner, born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. You obtained your medical uh, degree at 24. Crossed Alabama state line at 16 to attend college. You own several businesses, and you also covered and secured record deal for the Taste of Honey, and you reap doing a really wonderful award with that. You have a new book, which basically just shares the untold tales, being rich, distinctive, um, very life experiences in Birmingham, and uh, basically starting the 40s, dangerous adventures, narrow escapes. And your book is called Are You an Ender or a Doctor? Before getting all that, Dr. Otto, tell us how you first got started. Uh, What was the question again? Uh, Tell us how you first got started. Oh, uh, yeah,
4: Uh, yeah, way back. Well, I, uh, you know, like I said, I was born and raised in Birmingham. And uh, I I, uh, decided I wanted to be a doctor at age six. In in Birmingham, uh, growing up, uh, the ministers, the the, family members, your uncles, your aunts, relatives everybody asks you what do you want to be when you grow up so you felt compelled to have an answer and around age six uh seven in first grade uh one of my classmates uh, parents uh, father was a physician and i visited his office and saw him at work you know saw him at work and work listening using a stethoscope and this that and other mm-hmm. so that's what i decided that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be a doctor i wanted to have that knowledge be able to treat people that were sick and and so forth and uh, and I sort of stuck stuck, stuck to it, and um, uh, you know, eventually uh, went off to uh, college, leaving Birmingham for the first time at age sixteen, leaving Alabama, the state of Alabama, state line for the first time at age sixteen, uh, going to college. And the reason I was sixteen, I I, I was skipped. I had to change. There's a story in a book called uh, "The Boy Who Fell Off the Train." It's the second chapter in the book, or maybe the third chapter, mm-hmm. and it's about me uh, walking home from school with a uh, classmate and we walked every day. And I don't remember any of this, but anyway, he, um, it was a a slow, it was a big track, about eight tracks and and trains were backed up and it was moving real slow. And we decided to cross the, uh, to crawl, crawl over the train, you know, climb up over the train and go to the other side uh, to to get home, to his home. And then uh, he fell down and the train uh, amputated his leg right below the knee. And I never remember seeing that. Uh, I, I remember everything else about the incident, about but I don't remember the actual uh, damage to the leg. But uh, but in that story, because of that incident, my mother changed me to another school, and I was skipped. Uh, and at the, one school was more progressive, I guess, than another, so I was skipped, so that's how I happened to graduate at 16 because I skipped the, I skipped the third grade. Mm. And uh, so, I, and as I was saying, I never left the state of Alabama for the first time until until I was 16. So everything that, that was new to me, I'd never been on a train, I'd never been on a taxi, I'd never been in an airplane, obviously, and uh, I'd never eaten in a restaurant. Oh uh, my goodness! <laughs> other than you know where they had waiters i had you know places where you go in and order food and take it out and all that, mm-hmm. but I never sit down in a restaurant. So there were so many things that I've done that most of the stories. Once I leave Alabama, most of the stories are sort of a fish-out-of-water story, you know, because I was always in a new environment and trying to adjust. You know, I had a very deep Southern accent when I first got off to college, and uh, people in college had trouble understanding what I was saying and, and stuff like that. So I had to learn a different way of talking, a different vocabulary. For example, I would say, uh, this cross street. So, do you know what I said?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, crossing the street.
4: No. Yeah. But what did I say? You know, I tote this across the street. Hmm. I think that so, kind of <laughs> ran past me. Yeah. <laughs> That's total. So I said, tote. And I said this across the street. So really, I'm
3: saying, yeah, I had to learn to say, carry this across the street, you know. Oh, uh, God, you okay. Tote across the street. It's like, I've never heard that before. Right. And then I would say, I'm fixing to do
4: this. And, and uh, other people would make fun of me saying, you fixing, what are you fixing, <laughs> go, uh, go home. Well, yeah, yeah. No, and then I had to learn to say, I'm about to go home, I'm going home. You no, know, so I had to learn a whole new vocabulary. So it was, a, it was a big adjustment. And that's why I say fish out of water. Cause you know, my first time in New York, my first time in Chicago, my first time to Philadelphia, my first time seeing the ocean all of these were new experiences and, and, and seeing, you know, I remember going to Kentucky and because uh, when I was living in, when I was in Tennessee in school, I went to Kentucky looking for blue grass. Blue
3: bluegrass. Oh my gosh. I have the same impression too. It's like, where is it? So.
4: Right. And then, uh, you know, when I went to Chicago, which was doing um, medical school, my first year of medical school between this summer, I went to Chicago and my third day there, I got a job driving a bus, a city bus, CTA. Oh, wow, Trans- interesting. Chicago yes.
3: Good old Chicago and, Transit
4: Authority. So, so, and there's a story in a book about that. And and uh, and uh, so I got lost. You know, I would get lost. Uh, people would get on the bus and ask, do you go here? Do you go there? Like one person asked me, do you go to Wrigley Field? Well, I didn't know where Wrigley Field was. I said, well, I go between, I've only been here two weeks. I don't even know where Wrigley Field is. But if, if it's on this bus route I'll I'll pass it you know because they give you a little card about the size of an index card that' covered from 119th Street and Morgan all the way to downtown Chicago to the loop that's wow. 118 20 blocks that they cover on a little index card you know and 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 not being in Chicago I can remember asking well how do I know where to stop they said wherever you see a bus stop sign you know, well, that made sense. But, you know, sometimes you miss the sign. Or you didn't see it or, or cars in front of it or this or that. So it was a, that's why I said it, uh, most of the stories there, especially after I left Alabama, was like a fish out of water kind of kind of story. My first time in New York, my first time, every place I went was uh, was a fish out of water kind of story.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and and certainly and certainly interesting as well too and of course you know you being uh in the doctor and everything else and what was that one exact precise moment that simply influenced you into what you're doing for the rest of your career especially being a doctor
4: what was that again what
3: was was that one precise moment that simply influenced you into what you're doing for the rest of your career it was like a oh it was uh
4: i I think i mentioned that was uh you mean in terms of being a doctor
3: yes like the precise one where somebody said this is it
4: yeah, it was when I, when I was six or seven years old and I went to um, my friend's, uh, his father's office and I saw his father working and, you know, using a stethoscope and, you know, prescribing stuff and, and, and helping people. And that was the moment that I, and I just never wavered from that. You know, I, I started saying that sixth or seventh grade, I needed an answer because everybody's constantly saying, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be when you grow up? And so I needed an answer and and, and I just kind of grew into that answer. And the more I learned about being a doctor, the more I wanted to be a doctor. And, uh, you know, some doctor TV shows that were influenced and stuff like
3: that. So I just never, uh, I stayed on that path. Hmm. That was interesting. What are some of your uh, the TV shows that, um, you know, got you influenced?
4: Yeah, there were TV shows like, well, later Marcus Welby and and uh, The Interns. I think The Interns were before, before that. And uh, certain movies and whatnot uh and and seeing uh, other role models seeing other doctors work as you get older you know uh all of that had a had a big influence and i wanted that i wanted that skill i was just very impressed by the fact that he could look at someone and help them you know they were sick and they had a problem and the doctor was able to say well let's do this let's do that and and, and help the person and I, and I wanted that skill i wanted to learn how to do that you know mm-hmm. i think that was a uh, driving force in making that decision,
3: mm-hmm. and and yeah. of course you went on to uh, you know. Uh, being a music manager, restaurant owner, and uh, you know, owning several businesses, you know, you know, you know, being a doctor as well, too. I'll talk about in the book. Uh, are you an enter or a doctor or Dr. Otto Stelworth Jr.? But first listen to the Mike Weiner show at the Show.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at SonicWebStudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at SonicWebStudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show. Get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor, the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author, Mia molson If you love Fast-Based Ministries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson-Zia. Available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson's has gone great reviews. and evil of endorsed by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molson's. Available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Weidner Show at the MikeWeidnerShow.com. or 40 podcast platforms. Heard in 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Also on Odyssey, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, along with um, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Pandora, BitChute, Rumble. Make sure you subscribe as well. LinkedIn, YouTube as well. Take us with you on any mobile device. And check us on Facebook as well. Instagram, LinkedIn, Twic- Twitter, TikTok as well. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Weidner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies—makes great gifts. Twenty-four-seven. Go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Weidner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, like great books, like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles, check out the T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com/slash Me and Melson Zia. Check out the store today and support the Mike Weidner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the MikeWeidnerShow.com. We're here with the uh, retired doctor, music manager, and restaurant owner. Um, Born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. And the book, uh, Are You an Enter or a Doctor? A memoir by Dr. Otto Stalwart Jr. here on the Mike Wagner Show. And of course, you know, being in the um, professional as well. too. And uh, you had a really good career before getting to the um, music business and the restaurant business.
4: Yes. You know, I, I wanted to, uh, one interesting thing is I'm always asked, you know, the, the book, the book uh, is four or five chapters that you mentioned. And, and uh, a lot of the stories are funny. And that's some sad stories and, and, and whatnot. But a lot of people ask me, how did I come up with that title? Mm-hmm. And the title is based on one of the chapters in the book. You know, that is is the title of one of the chapters in the book. And that's based on the experience where, uh, you know, I went to uh, all Black, uh, you know, kindergarten, uh, elementary school, all Black high school, a predominantly Black college and predominantly Black medical school. And then when I went to and like in my in my medical school class out of a class of 80 there were eight white students. Wow. And then I went to do my internship at a Case Western Reserve Hospital in Ohio and out of 35 uh, residents and interns I was the only black physician. Oh wow. And uh and I was asked that question by a, a patient. So and and and, and I had no and and actually when I started writing that was the first story that I wrote because that never left my mind. You know mm. that experience. I mean, that question was very shocking, and uh, and I won't tell you my answer. You have to read the book. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we well we definitely will, and I'm sure you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It was a very shocking experience. And the second story I wrote uh, was about the the water fountain. It's called the uh, White Water Incident, mm-hmm. and this is a story where I was like seven years old. And my mother was taking me downtown to uh, the, the 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 biggest, most luxurious department store in uh, Birmingham at the time was called Loveman's Department Store. It was mm-hmm. a chain throughout the state of Alabama, is the largest and the most luxurious. And they had a special on uh, black and white photos, eight by ten photos. So mm-hmm. I was in a suit tie and so forth, and they took me down. She took me down. Make a long story short, she left me alone by myself to to go to the dressing room because, you know, at that time. um, at this particular store, they didn't have a colored uh, dressing room for colored people to try on the clothes. So mm-hmm. if you tried it on, you had to buy it. But she had a friend that worked there, one of her patrons, she was a beautician, and they uh, arranged for her to try clothes on. But So she left me mm-hmm. out in the uh, in an area of the, of the place by myself, and I saw this water fountain, and, and it looked better than the colored water fountain, which was in the basement. And I wanted to taste the water, so that's what that story is about. It's about me tasting the tasting the water. So those were the first first two stories I wrote because uh, it just stuck in my mind, and and that's sort of how um, I think your question was how did I get into to writing? And uh, it, it was something I took up, you know, after after uh, close to retirement. I actually started before I completely retired, but it's something I always had developed an interest in early uh after i finished uh medical school after i finished my residency actually Mm -hmm. and
3: and what sector of uh you know you being a medical field did you uh, specialize in
4: Uh, i was an anesthesiology
3: anesthesiologist okay And, and plus you also have been for 40 years as well too and uh you treat a lot of patients and um everything else as well too and uh from there you proceed to be a music manager and a Restaurant owner. That had to be really interesting.
4: Yeah, what happened at that? Um, with when I when I got to uh, L.A., two of my best friends from college and fraternity brothers had had um, had done uh, had uh, produced and recorded their first song, and it was called "I Want You Back" by the mm-hmm. Jackson Five. And then they did all of the Jackson Five songs for like the next five or six years, and went on to do other artists a uh, number of artists in fact uh, one of them wrote the song uh uh, uh I will survive uh oh, wow Freddie Perrin was the was the writer and producer of that of that song so they were very very good and so when I when in, in terms of the the group I met the group at a a wedding uh it was a friend of mine's sister was getting married and they and they at the reception uh, they had entertainment. And, uh, and the music was really good, really good. They were playing top forty hit songs, mm-hmm. and as I got closer up to the uh, to the group. It was on the same level. They weren't on a high stage, so the same level as the dancers, and you couldn't see them until you up front. And I was just shocked to see two female uh, playing. Uh, one was playing a guitar, and one was playing the bass guitar and they, and, and singing. Huh. I'd never seen. You know, most most of the time we see women playing an instrument is usually the piano mm-hmm. or with piano. That's, probably, that's the only thing I really remember before that. So, so, so to me, that was a very unique uh, look and a very knockable market, uh, marketing look. And their name was taste of honey, which is a very marketing
3: name. Oh because, yeah. And I remember the hit too from 79. Uh, yes. Right. Right.
4: And then we, uh, the uh so we found a record deal. Well, I took people by to see them. I had friends who were the, the Commodores. I took the Commodores manager by, Benny Ashburn. I took one of the Commodores by Ron Lepreid, and I took those two producers by that I talked about, the Dita Jackson Five, mm-hmm. and kind of got, got impressed with me, I guess, and they asked me to manage them. And I had taken a course uh, uh, a little bit before that. You know, when I first left, um, finished my residency at UCLA uh, in anesthesiology, I was so used to being in school for 20 some years, you know, uh, classes that I actually missed the classroom. So I started taking, going to classes at night at USC and and, and UCLA night classes. And one of the classes I took was how to make a record deal, how to make a, a demo and get a record deal.
3: I didn't it's like cool. that. I wish I would took that advice years ago. So <laughs> yeah. it was just coincidence.
4: So I went back to that book and I I just kind of followed what was outlined in the book the way I approached it. So I ended up shopping them at a number of record companies. But um, one of the things was that I didn't like any of their songs. None of their original songs. They mm-hmm. sound good really singing top forty hits. So uh, so I um, I we decided to video record them. And I took a big recorded machine that those
3: days was like two feet by three feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the, I remember know. that. I think it was, uh, oh, gosh, what was it? Not Betamax, but it was something else. It. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, think the of the problem. name of it. Yeah.
4: They used three quarter inch tapes as big as uh, that book you showed. Earlier. Oh, yeah,
3: that's right. You know, this big, this big yeah. and uh, whatever yeah. else. I remember now. Yes.
4: Right, and and you could only get I think the longest tape was like an hour, so we uh, we uh, had to we had to rent a camera. Nobody had a camera, but we rented the camera, and we recorded them. They wouldn't let us record during a performance. They were performing at a club called a club etc. in uh, in uh, Hollywood on La Brea, right across from AM Records. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let us uh, record during the performance, so we recorded on a Saturday, which actually wow. worked out because we had to stop and start. And then I edited that tape down to twenty minutes, and I shot that tape. Just to show them, you know, what, 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 because uh, what, that was that was the appeal was the this unique look. Plus, they were great singers and great performers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finally got one of the people that saw them sign us at Capitol Records. And within six months, we had the song was released. It went to uh, number one right away. It was on the t- number one record uh, chart for thirteen weeks. We knocked Stevie Wonder out of first place. <laughs> we Wonder how road. he felt about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we went on the road with the Commodores, uh, and they did ninety shows that that year. And uh, I had kind of a family emergency, and I had to uh, had to stop working with the group. And so, uh, and a little bit later. They made a few errors, a few, you know, they were only like 18, 19, 20 years old. I was only uh, maybe 29 or so. Oh wow. So and 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 um when you have success that early, it's a little dangerous in a way because you you don't know how to handle the money. And uh they actually well, this is just my opinion, they they kind of thought that they were the reason that they were the uh, the top hit cuz she had actually written that song on the way from a performance where nobody was moving around or dancing so she wrote the lyrics but th- these producers actually created that sound created the song if you listen to that song today it still will sound current because of the production was so, there's so many different instrumental things going mm-hmm. on,
3: right? It. Yeah, and, and and of course I still listen to it, and I worked at radio stations, and any, any, and you play it back then on seventy nine. So it's like you could have swore it was most recent. You're right. It was a it was a more timeless classic, right? It was a great thing, and it happened right in the, in the at the time of the disco thing,
4: so it really took off, and uh, and they were the reason. So that ended up being they have one other minor hit uh, called Sukiyaki which was a, a, a cover of a song, an earlier release song.
3: Yeah, I, I think that was, what was it, um, Pat Suzuki, what was it, 64, 65, yeah, 67, like yeah. somewhere around there, yeah. Right,
4: and she did a great job. She, The, the lead singer, uh, J.J., had kind of a Smokey Robinson kind of tone to her voice. In fact, she was. I think they did a cover... Of one of Smokey's songs, I, th- I think I can't remember which song it was. But if you check out the album, you'll find one of those songs that Smokey that Smokey Robinson did. She had a very smooth voice, like Smokey. And uh, but that was the only hit, and you know it became like a one-hit phenomenon. We tried to my partner and I, I ended up with a partner who was also a physician, and we went on the road with him and all that. And we tried to get him back and tried to straighten him, you know, straighten out the mistakes they've made and this, that, and other. But they were too far gone and and uh they just had that one hit. So that was uh but that was an exciting part, especially the night they won the Grammys you know, I was there it was at the uh, oh, sports, nice. arena, sports arena in LA, and I can just remember jumping out of my seat and saying, oh my you know, it was, it was sort of like uh, affirmation of what of my my impression of them the first time I saw them. you know it was uh, it was an incredible incredible experience. Mm. I didn't like the lifestyle of of going on the road and the whole music thing, uh, the late nights and so forth. I didn't like that part of it. It's because it's totally different than the medical world that I was used to, you know. So I I didn't miss that part of it, but I missed the the excitement of uh, of uh, just being able to spot something and take it and make it something big. I mean, I mm-hmm. was. It was just an incredible, incredible experience, mm-hmm. and that's a chapter of my book about it and, it. and I think it's called "Taste of Honey," uh, uh, Grammy Grammys 1979 or something like that. That's the
3: mm-hmm. title. Yeah, that's part of the 45 chapters of. Uh, you enter our doctor, Doctor Arlo Stahl, junior here on the Mike Wagner Show. You also went ahead and um, owned several businesses. You also ran a couple of restaurants as well, too. With with OES Management and Hollywood Fries Restaurant, which I'm getting hungry right now ever think about it. He also worked with um, Danny Glover and uh, Ruben Cannon and um, Olden Lee, some of the um, bigs in Hollywood. I mean, Danny Glover had to be an honor to work with. Especially yes,
4: it was, it was quite an honor. And I met Danny through uh, my other partner, uh, Ruben Cannon. Ruben Cannon was a, a casting director who had casted, among other things, Color Purple. He also discovered Bruce Willis, put Bruce Willis in his first movie, my first TV show, Moon something it was called.
3: Moonlighting, yes, I remember that. Silver Shepherd. Oh, Maddie, you gotta come for this. I remember that so well. Moonlighting.
4: uh, So he was an excellent casting director. And that's how I met Danny. I met Danny through him. And Danny was was, uh, very easy to work with. He, He was there for the opening of the restaurant. And that's part of the reason we had a problem, because... After Danny we they put us on NBC, CBS, we were on the covers of the magazine and then we got flooded and we weren't ready for the uh, for the flooding of people. and a lot of people expected uh what was it the they expected a, a much it was a, a what do you call a quick service restaurant. Where you come in, you water. Yeah, order and yeah quick
3: service, place. fast food to go, right. and all that. I think it was right. just like, you know, almost like, you know, a unique McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Taco right. Bell, Kentucky Fried, and um, any fast food, or even like, you know, the modern ones like Sonic. Right. And I think it's like, oh, well, the list goes on and on.
4: Well, you know, that was, a, it, I modeled that restaurant after uh, a, a trip to Belgium where they had french fries on almost every corner. You know, really, they French fries in,
3: on every corner! Oh my gosh, you're they're, they're making me more hungry food. than ever.
4: <laughs> what kind of dipping sauces? And they had a two two stage way of cooking them that made them very crisp and hot. You know, and and they use fresh potatoes. You know, not not those fake potatoes that McDonald's uses. Mm-hmm. And they served them in a comb. so we modeled everything after that. We served them in a comb, and and uh, and uh, and we had dipping sauces. We had 25 different sauces. The most famous dipping sauce. Was lethal weapon.
3: It was mainly Lethal weapon. What 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 is that sauce anyway?
4: It was a spicy, very spicy, using cayenne pepper and some other stuff that made it very hot and spicy. And it's mayonnaise based, you know, because what in 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 Belgium they serve mayonnaise on French fries, not mustard and ketchup, but mainly mayonnaise. So most of our sauces were were uh, were mayonnaise based and named after movies, uh, other people, you know, and stuff. And it was, and we had something like thirty thirty different sauces. Wow! And what stopped that restaurant was nine eleven because we were getting ready to open our. We were in Westwood, and we were getting ready to open our second location in Hollywood and Vine, and then nine eleven happened. And on this on the uh, street that we had our restaurant in Westwood, there were a couple of Arab type restaurants. And uh, who had nothing to do with the origin of the, uh, the 9/11, but nobody came on that block. Nobody came to Westwood uh, on the streets any, anymore after that. I wow. mean, so everything kind of shut down. And in fact, Hollywood and Vine, where we were supposed to have a second location, they had just spent six hundred million dollars building that thing, and and they sold it, ended up selling it two years later for for three hundred million. Wow. So, and that's because everybody left, and and it and it was and it was built based on the 10 million visitors that visited the Chinese uh, theater, mm-hmm. and then all all, this, all the flights stopped coming from China for about a year or two after that. So, so that that was kind of uh, that was another great experience, you know.
3: Oh my gosh! And plus, you you ran OES management and um, you know several others as well too. And I I mean, it's not just food; it's just you know a bunch of other things.
4: Yeah, I, I would never. I admire anybody that that has success at a restaurant. That is a tough business. That is a very tough business.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I'm and glad you, I did it. Yeah. And and you said uh Hollywood fries, you know, ha- had some things gone wrong. Was it like the expectations, like was it like um the, the speed of it, the quality of it, the price of it, and uh what do you think factored into it?
4: Well, there are a lot of factors. Number one, I can see why McDonald's uh, started making their own fake potatoes because it's so hard to keep get to get so especially certain times of year to get the russet potatoes. You, you can only use certain types of potatoes that made the best fries. Mm. And those potatoes are hard to get at certain times of year. And uh and 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 we use a, a, a serve technique where they weren't you could you can't cook French fries and serve them two hours later. They don't they they don't hold up. So we cook to, per order. You know, as you ordered it, we cooked it right there, we served it to you hot. And and so uh and people came there f- expecting um what was that hard rock cafe? They were expecting that kind of experience. Oh were, yeah, the hard oh,
3: rock. I've been there, uh-huh.
4: Right. They were coming out from all over the country and we were a little small, you know, uh thousand square foot place, uh quick service, and they were expected to come and sit like at Hard Rock Cafe where you had all the big video screens and of this and of that, and big big huge restaurant and the st- posters and all. So we weren't that, and, I, and and people were coming expecting that, especially after seeing Danny Glover. But I tell you, it was a great experience. It was great working with Danny. It was great, uh, and, and in fact, one of the best things that ever happened, and this is kind of off the subject, but uh, we got complimentary tickets, To go to a game at uh, uh, the pavilion, uh, UCLA pavilion, uh, to see um, um, oh god, just what's the (laughs) we're having a a brain freeze? But the star player for for the Lakers, LeBron James, we got tickets to go see him play in high school. Oh wow! High school playing, uh, it was some other team that they were playing, you know. uh, So we saw him play in high school, and those were complimentary tickets from some of our customers from uh from ucla wow
3: and and, yeah. th- and this is while lebron was in high school he was playing in um in
4: westwood we opened a restaurant in 99 we closed in 2005 so it had to be somewhere in there and put about 2001 or two somewhere in there
3: and, oh my uh, gosh it, it's almost like a who knew type of deal you, you yeah. know that sort of thing too and of course you know and there's more to uh the book as well too with uh dr r starworth uh junior of are you an enter or a doctor? Of course, you know, there's also, you know, falling in love, losing loved ones. And, um, and of course, um, you know, you've been in dangerous situations, adventures, narrow escapes. And um, we'll get more into detail with uh, Dr. Al Alist- Starworth Jr. You listen to the Mike Weidner Show at the MikeWeidnerShow.com, powered by SonicWave Studios, and brought to you by official sponsor of the Mike Weidner Show, International Warring author, me and Molson Zia Missing. We'll be back with uh, Dr. Al Starworth of Are You An enter or a Doctor?
0: Three nine six zero, Or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level.
1: Hey everybody, my name is Forbes Riley and I'm an American actress and a TV host and I was delighted when I got my copy of Missing, which is extraordinary relation of ordinary people based on a real life relationship. It's just, it's well written, it's amazing. bye-bye
3: hey hey this is ray powers and boy are you in luck right place right time tuned in to the mike wagner show you heard me we're back with uh, author dr otto stalwart jr here on the mike wagner show with the book are you an ender or a doctor? A wonderful memoir, 45 chapters. And by the time we get done here and um, you'll be probably uh, 46, 47, 48. It's not just about, um, you know, the living in Birmingham, Alabama. I mean, just a lot, you know, falling in love, losing loved ones, family. And, you know, of course, you know, you know, you know, more stories to share about being a doctor as well.
4: Yeah. well you know it's also uh, most of the stories once I left Alabama was the first time was age 16 that you mentioned it was like a fish out of water story because I went to um, three I had never been to Chicago and I went there with a with my roommate a medical school roommate right after my freshman year and uh and he told me about a job you could get driving a bus so three days after I've been in Chicago never been to Chicago didn't know anything about the city one way or the other uh I got a job driving a city bus Chicago Transit Authority bus. Mm-hmm. so things used to happen and and that's what the story is about in the book I I used to get lost you know I would make the wrong turn you know and and in Chicago you had to go down and go through the loop and the loop was kind of dark and underground I, I would get lost in the loop and come out in the wrong location people would ask me directions to places and get offended when I say I don't know and they say I want you to you know curse Aren't you the MFing mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want you to MF and bus driver? I try to explain I just got to Chicago I've only been here a week I, didn't, I don't know where that is uh, you know I'm sorry you know and things like that. so it was it's a lot of funny funny uh funny story. plus uh, I had a roommate who was a University of Chicago um, uh, uh, law school student and uh his two roommates were traveling in Europe for the summer so he was looking for roommates just for the summer and um and uh and he was the guy who looked looked a lot like John Lennon. He would have had the the glasses, had the long hair. He was tall and lanky. And and his friends, he and his friends used to do LSD every night. Wow. So I watched them. And I tell this story in the book. I watched them, and, uh, and I won't go through a lot of detail, but I eventually ended up trying the lsd
3: never did it again after that <laughs> <laughs> and, and you thought lsd was lakeshore Drive for all you chicago people out there i don't think so or we don't yeah
4: and you know interesting thing now we it, it, doing it, it, a lot of things happened starting in 66 first that was the introduction of the birth control pill and then that was it made love not war and then of course the abortion thing uh the roe versus wade at 73 so it was it brought on a whole different kind of uh Kind of a uh, uh, lifestyle, you know, so to speak, and um, and uh, so that a lot of that had to do with that experience of the of of, of the LSD and this and that. Now, interesting enough, Timothy Leary, you know, who was the LSD godfather, or whatever, the promoted mm-hmm. LSD, lost his job at Harvard for for promoting LSD, and now they're starting to use. Uh, 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 psych, uh, psychedelic kind of drugs to treat depression, for example, ketamine, which is the same, very similar in chemical structure to LSD. We used to use it in anesthesia. We call it dissociative anesthesia because it would make you you could be like this, but asleep. But right, you know,
3: yeah, have have like an icy cold stare or staring in space. You know, like. Right, right.
4: But you're asleep and you can tolerate a certain amount of pain. Oh,
3: what was that? What was that?
4: <laughs> it's called dissociative. We call it dissociative anesthesia. The problem with it was that some some patients uh, between the ages of uh, 18 and, and 29 would come, what they call emergence delirium, which basically was having trips. They would come out seeing things, hallucinations and this and that, which was very disturbing to, to the medical staff and other people when they're screaming and yelling. And, you know, of course, now just think about it. If you were coming in to go to surgery and you they had you wait in there and the patient that just, just had just come out was over there going crazy. You know, you. I think you changed your mind about going in for the surgery. It's you know, like
3: it's, it's like come and take me away. It's like uh, I I think I'll just go somewhere else. You know. That right. sort of right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so
4: it didn't last very long as I said because I I just happened to be at UCLA when the, before it was uh, released. We did the studies on, on ketamine, so I knew how to use it, and it's all dose related. And uh, so now they're using it to treat all over LA and maybe in other cities. They open up these ketamine clinics where they're hmm. treating people uh, for depression. And uh, and they're saying the medical reports are saying, well, I'm not that familiar, because uh, all of this has happened since I kind of retired. So I haven't read the, the data, but I find it hard to believe that, that it really works. And I, I don't know how they consider the dosage. You can give, you can titrate and get different effects. Um, for example, I used to use it in kids to start IVs. You know, when um, you know, because kids won't stay still. They're moving their arms. Oh, which, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. You know, a very small dose uh, intramuscularly. And within um, five minutes or so, they're in this state where it's like this. Their eyes open and wait, but they don't feel any pain. And you can start gonna mm-hmm. Within 15 minutes, they're back to normal. So it was perfect for that kind of thing. But you had to know how to d- use it. And I had learned that because we were doing all the investigation at UCLA when I was a resident. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but now they're used to starting to use that. And now they're starting to bring back psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin.
3: Yes, that's right. Psilocybin. I did some research on that. I had some uh, people on there too. And uh, that, that's going to be a big thing as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so
4: you look back and maybe Timothy Leary had, had, was right, you know, cause he was promoting it at, for that kind of treatment and everybody thought he was just some crazy lunatic or whatever. In fact, I, I, I haven't seen it, but I remember passing. There's some kind of, um, some kind of documentary about him, uh, promoting that.
3: Mm. That is rather interesting too. Of course you had, uh, you know, losing loved ones, falling in love and, um, maybe just a few more from your uh, days of Birmingham in your book as well.
4: Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm on my fifth marriage and I've been married now for eight years. We, we were together 12 years before I got married. Cause I wanted to be sure this time, but, um, yeah, I, my first marriage. Uh, I was 20; she was 18. In college, had no children or anything. Her father was a, an attorney, and the later became a judge. And he annulled the marriage. And then uh, there's a story in a book called Harlem uh, Harlem Girl, where I met my uh, second wife uh, while I was at Harlem Hospital, Columbia. Columbia, uh, and I'm sure maybe they still do. Columbia University used to, used to medical school used to staff. Uh, 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 harlem hospital mm-hmm. so I worked there, and so there's a, a story about that uh, in the book um very interesting story i thought uh one of the it's kind of a love story so to speak because it's when, when i first meet her they called harlem harlem lady harlem and,
3: lady that's a rather interesting term
4: yeah yeah and also the, harlem was my first exposure to uh uh, uh seeing uh um drug addicts on on uh, on a heroin, heroin drug addicts. So there was, it was pandemic at that point in the 1960s. You know, now it's pandemic in places like uh, West Virginia and here and there and so forth across the United States. But at that time it was just, uh, as far as I knew, Harlem. You know, interesting thing, growing up in Birmingham, uh, alcohol, that was about it. We weren't exposed to marijuana during my childhood. And I grew up in the forties, fifties and left there in uh, early sixties to go to college. I never had seen, except on TV, anything about marijuana, uh, cocaine, uh, heroin. Never saw that in, in Birmingham, but we had a lot of alcohol, and 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 and, and you had at an early age because we had bootleggers. You know they had they had a, a, alcohol ABC stores, what they call it, a, uh, Alabama Beverage Control, was the only way you could buy alcohol, and they were only open. Till five o'clock Monday through Friday and none on the weekend so that that set up a great business for bootleggers so there were bootleggers all over all over the place and I'm sure they paid somebody off because nobody everybody seemed to work and and, and operate without interference
1: mm-hmm. but that
4: was that was a big big uh difference so most of my my, my exposure to that in Harlem was uh, it's a chapter that you have to read it was a very shocking shocking experience in the hospital and outside of the hospital seeing seeing uh, the effects of that of that uh of that drug
3: mm-hmm. so, and, that? and and you also had some um you know other ventures as well too and maybe some of the things we we haven't covered yet I mean we covered um you know about the taste of honey being um you know working with Danny Glover and others and uh Hollywood fries and um and whatever else and I think we covered most of it and um you know maybe some um I'm just trying to think it's like you know a little bit of miscellaneous or maybe maybe just an unusual story too so
4: yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a story about my experience in Egypt, called the Egyptian
3: Mama. Oh yeah, travel wise.
4: Uh huh. Yeah, and that 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 had to do with uh, uh, a friend of mine. Well, we, my girlfriend at the time, who ended up being my wife later. She uh, she went to uh, 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 first to uh, Athens, and then in Greece, and then went to uh, Israel. And in Israel, she was apprehended uh, because she was the only dark person, uh, a person of color in a group of mostly Australian couples. And what had happened, She we had just started dating maybe five months before that. And she had, a, had this prearranged trip and her girlfriend backed out of, of going. She was a television comedy writer and her girlfriend had backed out of going. So she went by herself mm-hmm. and that was suspicious to them because and so she they detained her in the airport I mean, yeah, for eight hours for questioning, and most of the time she just sat there and wasn't And so she called me crying. So I flew to uh, Egypt. Uh, I was on my way to um, to uh, Israel, and then she was released just before I left. So I changed. Her. I met her in Cairo. And so the story, uh, e- Egyptian Mama, is about uh, our experience uh, in uh, in Egypt and coming up the. Uh, the Nile River and, and seeing all these things. And that name comes from because we were at the pyramids and a guy rode up on a camel and he said, Hey, Egyptian mama, you want to ride my camel?
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so that's where I got the title from. You know, he was talking to, to, my, to my wife. He was a great guy. He took us, uh, he became our guide in terms of the, uh, the uh, pyramids and whatnot.
3: Oh my gosh, that is so amazing! Of course, you also travel in other parts of the world too. It's like you know, you know, especially where you're at. Of course, you're not going to say where you are and everything. I mean, I mean, you're just an adventure and a half. I gotta say that. So,
4: yeah. Well, I, I uh, there's a story now called Mexico and Me, which was about my uh, uh, starting going to well, actually to Puerto Vallarta because it was like a two and a half hour flight almost three-hour flight from L.A., but a lot closer than other places I've been. For you know, in, in a totally different environment than than Los Angeles. And there's stories in there. thats all kind of, there's funny stories in there about, um, you know, one story, you know, there was this thing I wanted to have uh, curly hair. I wanted oh, to have, right. and, I, and I had really kinky hair. I wore a big afro for, for a long time uh, from med school, but this was when I was young and, and in Birmingham. And, uh, you know, among uh, Black people, you have all kinds of skin complexions, and you have all kinds of different hair. So I mm-hmm. had friends that had curly hair and this and that. So I wanted to have curly hair. So what I noticed, <laughs> and, uh, what I, and this, this story is called Hair and Shampoo. What I noticed was that when I was shampooing my hair, I, I noticed that the hair got sh- straight, you know. so. Huh. I, so I put more shampoo on it and, and, and more in. And so I just left the shampoo in, right? And I went to school. Make a long story short, I was shortened the story because it's kind of a about a four-page story, but I was shortened it. I went to school and uh going from one class to another, we had to come outside. It started raining like a thunderstorm. It was just, oh my gosh. And my hair starts suzzing up with the such. <laughs> the soap suds started coming out out of my hair and my face. And, and people were going. Um of you know, what what's that in your hair? What's wrong with you? <laughs> it was so, you know, I had to run to the bathroom and try to get it out. The more water I put in, the more such. That was a hell of an experience. That was that was one of the funniest stories. There's a lot of funny stories in there, along with uh, some some heartbreaking stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when my father died when I was 22. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, that was that's a tough thing about writing a memoir. When you when you write, or when I write, I I kind of relive the event. You know, you get in a place because I, I used to write. Start writing at ten in the morning, and write until like four or five the next morning, wow. and uh, so typist, and uh, uh, and you relive. You you kind of when, when you're describing the the scene, the smells, the this and that. Because we were taught in the in the in the in, the, in the, my writing group, you know, what, what did you smell? What did you what did you feel? What did what did you what did you hear and stuff like that and so you, when you start describing those things and, and remembering it you know you start uh, like when I started describing the, the the story about my father passing and I was reading the story to the group I started crying because I was reliving his his death he died when I was 20 21. Mm-hmm. and I started reliving and it was a sudden thing you know he just it came on and, and and three weeks later he was dead and and uh and 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 it's, so, it's, so that's the tough part about writing, is reliving those events. Now, reliving events, sometimes you can take a story and make it funny. And it's not as painful when you remember it. Like I write a story about uh, uh, when I was playing football, I, I on a football team, and my friend was a quarterback. And he threw me a pass. Uh, and it was an easy pass. And, and, and we were ahead. I, I, if we had made this touchdown, we were on a 13-yard line. If we made this touchdown, we would have won the game. But I, I couldn't find, you know, I, I was the second string. I never played in a game, right? But the lead, the 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 number one player got hurt, and they said Starward go in for 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 Cecil. I said uh-huh. I couldn't find the helmet, so I grabbed the first helmet I saw. When the ball hit my hand, the helmet fell over my eye. Oh and, no! <laughs> and and I, and somebody tackled me, and then as I was going to the ground, I tipped the ball in the air. The other guy caught the ball and ran an 80-yard touchdown, and
3: we lost the game. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And
4: the next game, my mother, and then I had to try to make up, so I worked really hard. I got a helmet that fit. And then my mother said, uh, uh, it was raining that day and and thundering. And she said, where do you think you're going? I said, "Uh, I have a football game. She said, not in this rain, you don't. And she wouldn't let me go to the game. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't tell the coach my mommy wouldn't let me come to the game.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or, or you make or you make up something too. You're right. So <laughs>
4: so that was uh, so. There's some funny stuff in there. I, you know, it's funny how at the time that wasn't funny. You know, when when I, when I lived it, but it was funny writing it. But mm-hmm. some things, some things when you write it, it's still not funny and it's still
3: painful. Mm-hmm. It's and, hard to relive those moments. And it's also true to say as well too. And where can we find your book?
4: It's, it's available every place on Amazon, uh uh Apple, uh Barnes and Noble, uh even Walmart, uh, every place uh online, almost every place you can think of online. And also the audio book is out. Audio book has been the book came out in February, the audio book came out uh about two months ago. And uh I couldn't do the they they wanted me to do the entire book. I did just the um Prologue. I couldn't do. Uh, I didn't have the stamina to do the because it was taking five and a half hours for five days, uh, and and um, and I read for an hour. My Alabama accent came out, so I had to keep, you know, repeating those words and so forth. And uh, so I, I had a, a narrator read it, and he did a great job. Yeah, I have to say, he did a great job. He plus you know i I wrote a story about the mexico thing and i'm very good
3: my spanish is really bad i couldn't pronounce the spanish words that i wrote you know (laughs) well after you have a little taco button, say yo quiero taco bell then it will come back to you so (laughs)
4: yeah
3: (laughs) pretty much and we're here with uh, dr otto starworth a junior of are you or a doctor here on the mike wagner show and just a few more minutes dr otto we'd love to have you back and hopefully you'll be adding chapter 47 48 49 and Fifty along the way maybe we get done be adding 51 52 or so what else can we expect in 2023 and beyond
4: well i'm right i'm right uh, i'm getting ready to release a book of sunsets no I've, uh, I've always uh I, i've just been taking photos as in my travels and whatnot and a lot of them just in la of uh sunsets you know uh, i don't know if you've ever really watched sunset. if you see once you see this book and you see the photos i've taken You'll go, wow, because you know, it's, it's a fleet of sunsets happen in a fleeting moment. They're mm. there and then it's gone. And it changes from from every 15 seconds. You know, it's a different pattern, a different. So it's like watching a changing palette of art from moment to moment. So I have a book called Sunsets by Otto. And then I'm writing a, um, um, when I was at UCLA, uh, uh master's of fine arts program, I wrote a screenplay called Murder at Beauty World. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to convert that to a uh, novel, and it's about a uh, murder uh, that was uh, set up as a as an accidental anesthetic death, but it was actually an intentional murder. And uh, of course, the protagonist doesn't know this until a little later in the story that it was actually a, a murder. Mm. And the protagonist happened, uh, the anesthesiologist who was scheduled to do the surgery uh, didn't show up, and they called him and asked him to do the case. Medications were already laid out. And, and so he used the medications that was there. And one of those medications uh killed the patient intentionally. And wow. so that, and then that's not discovered to much later in the story of exactly how it was done and why it was done and and all that sort of thing. Okay. So uh I have a little ways to go on that though, because I tell you, I worked with a writing group uh that do that memoir, and we used to meet every two weeks and we'd read our stuff and they critique it, and then you go back and reread it. And um, uh, when I read this story uh, three about three months ago, I read the first 80 pages. I was so proud of these 80 pages. but I, And this is what's wrong with Zoom when you have five people, uh, six people trying to meet the, and you can't read the body language.
1: Uh-huh. But
4: I, they didn't tell me how bad it was. But I could see, as I looked at each person, I could see that it didn't work. You know, so mm. I had to go back to the drawing table and... And uh, and uh, study some more about because it's totally different writing a murder mystery than writing a memoir.
3: So I'm, I'm I'm still in the process of learning and studying to be a be a writer. Hmm. That's so, uh, certainly interesting, and uh, we'll get more into that. And uh, who do you consider biggest influence in your career?
4: Biggest influence in my career? Yes, uh, I think I'd have to say it was my father, in a sense that my father, uh, in, in a negative and positive way. Because uh, some of the things that I saw him do, I I intentionally didn't do. And other things that I saw him do, I intentionally did. And some things I subconsciously did. For example, he was a hard worker. He worked uh, at a a steel mill, but he also had several other jobs. He worked uh, at a a cleaners where he uh, delivered and picked up clothes. He was a jet and ebony magazine distributor. Uh, which I became a Magazine distributor at age nine, and uh, and other little, little he sold suits. He just did a lot of different things, and that was after working in a steel mill. Uh, he went to work at four o'clock in the morning, got off at two o'clock, uh, making steel pipes, and so he did that, and plus all these other other things. So I think, and I didn't realize this, I started writing a memoir. And I realized that you know you mentioned all the things I've done, like the the music, the this, the that, the restaurant, da 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 da. And then I started thinking. I put it together. I said that was my father. He had all of these different uh, things he was doing. So I think, and I never thought about it until I wrote memoir. No so I think he was a big influence on how I've been uh, adventurous and trying different things. Even even the music thing was totally you know different for me to do as a as a as a physician. Mm. So, and then a the restaurant was something totally different for me to do as a, as a physician. And, uh, and I've had some other things that I've done that are totally different, you know, business ventures. So it's, uh, I, and I, so I think that as I, as I wrote, the, I've only concluded this since writing the memoir that, that, that was, uh, uh, that was the influence. And that we is,
3: were, yeah, that is interesting. I like that. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? About
4: advice yep. to what?
3: What, what is the best advice you can give to anybody at this point in general?
4: In general, I'd say uh, whatever your dreams are, don't give up. Uh, you know, one of my uh, working uh, mantras that uh, I've carried through life, which was on the wall of my mother's beauty shop, was uh, "Where there's a will, there's a way." I and that worked for me. And uh, and and whenever I've come up to uh, what seemed like insurmountable kind of thing mm-hmm. I would say there's a will there's a way and I'd say, and I just kept thinking about how to do this how to work around the problems of doing it and uh and so uh, and that's what I teach my my kids I've taught my kids that thing where there's a will there's a way and uh so I think that's my living mantra
3: Mm-hmm. and I think that's a really good one as well too in these uh, day and age here once again we're with the author of the book are you an enter or a doctor Dr. Otto Stelwart Jr. here on the Mike Weiner Show Dr. Otto very big thank you for your time you've been absolutely fantastic learned a lot from me it's been a great journey looking forward to having you again soon keep us up to date keep in touch love to have you back once again what's your website how do people contact you? where can people purchase or check out your book
4: well, you can go to ottoestalworthjrmd.com. That's my website and all the information about the book, where to buy it, what we're doing. Uh, there's uh, uh, it's also stuff there about my foundation. I have a foundation called Stallworth OES, exclamation point, foundation. And we, right now, we have uh, two scholarships. We get, we have a full scholarship that we give to a student at Howard University, undergrad, and to my uh, alma mater uh, medical school, my Harrow Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, four years full scholarship for students. And the scholarships are based on need because I didn't mention that there's a story in my book by um, Reverend uh, John Wesley Rice uh, was my uh, high school counselor. He was also a minister and so forth. He was also Condoleezza Rice's father. Hmm. Condoleezza was in the first grade when I uh, first grade, uh, first or second grade when I graduated from high school. So I knew her as a child. As she was a child. And uh, and uh, of course, I knew her later in life and knew, knew her father. But a father uh, arranged, uh, my, my family, my father and mother didn't have the money to, to get me to college on, for four years, a, a, a full scholarship, you know, cover food, clothing, all that kind of stuff. I could go to a local college, but I wanted to go to Howard. And Reverend Rice found a, a scholarship uh, that was based on need that actually provided for four years of, uh, of undergrad and four years of medical school. I went to. Uh, wow. On the basis of that, that scholarship. It was half scholarship and half loan. And the loan was at a three percent that you paid once you once you uh, graduated from everything. So because of that experience and because of that, the scholarships that we give is based on need. It's not based on scholarship performance, and you don't have to maintain a certain average to keep the scholarship. Because I didn't. Who <laughs>
3: does these days? <laughs>
4: I mean, I had groin pains and all kind of stuff, you know, you know, fish out of water kind of thing. So, so that's the way to scholarship today. base. So that's a it's called the Star Wars OES Foundation, and we uh, eventually we'll get to the point we'll be asking for more and more donations. Right now is uh, uh, funded very well, and 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 we have some very,
3: we only have two scholarships given, but very good strong students. And yeah. we're certainly looking forward to hearing more about it. Once again, Doctor Rower, very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Learned a lot from me. Looking forward to having you soon. Keeps us up to date. Keep in touch. live having you back. Wish you all the best, and Doctor Rower, you definitely have a great future ahead. Okay.
4: Thank you very much.
0: The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios.